This is an Odyssey original. This is KX In Depth. I'm Rob Arch. And I'm Elsa Ramon. And for Charles Feldman today, are Hollywood writers and studios close to a deal to end this strike? We go in depth to find out. Got a sense of deja vu here. We'll see. Uh, also uh, today, we will go in depth on whether pleading not guilty by reason of insanity just might work for the man accused of the murder of an L.A. County Sheriff's deputy. Also, people are trying the opposite of ghosting. Have you ever been ghosted, Elsa? Someone ever ghosted you? I have not, um, but I, I must admit that I have ghosted. And we'll talk about it. I have my reasons Okay, so there's, there's a thing that's the opposite of ghosting now, and it's called anti-ghosting. We're going to explain what that is coming up. All right, but we are going to start with the negotiations between Hollywood writers and studios. Joe Otterson is the senior TV writer for Variety. So, Joe, are we going to see the white puffs of smoke coming out from the chimney and uh, cheers erupting from people picketing? <laughs> uh, are we going to see that today? Yes, when the white puff of smoke appears above Mendocino Farm. You know, <laughs> um, so I'm hesitant to say that a deal will be reached because, you know, the rumor mill is, is always running in Hollywood, but it is definitely, definitely looking positive. I will say that the AMPTP, which represents the studios, and the WGA, which represents the writers, issued a joint statement yesterday after negotiating in the afternoon saying they were going to return to the negotiating table today. The fact that they issued a joint statement is in itself a very positive sign because they have not been able to do anything jointly for the past four and a half months. So I will say I am very cautiously optimistic that it is looking good. You know what? There are factions at war in my soul right now. On one side, one faction has said, you know what? People are basically good. They all have had enough of this strike, both sides, and they want to make a deal. And they're willing to to see the best in each other and make a deal that will make as many people as possible happy. Maybe not everybody, but as many as they can. And then the other faction in my soul says, no, some idiot is going to screw this up. Uh, What are the possibilities of that happening? Well, I, I don't want to estimate how many idiots there are in Hollywood, but that is definitely a possibility. Um, I think you're absolutely right, though. I think everybody is sick of this. Everybody wants to get back to work. It's simply a question of can these two sides finally agree on enough to make that happen? Um, it's certain, like I said earlier, it certainly seems like it's going that way. Um, it's just simply a question of are there enough compromises to be made on either side that will make, like you said, enough people happy that this thing can can move forward. You know, I've read a lot about this this morning, uh, Joe, and the the one thing that seems to be getting thrown around, don't know where it's coming from, but apparently there is this thought that if a deal isn't reached today and we don't see a conclusion to this saga we've been watching since May, that uh, we're not going to see one until the end of the year. I mean, how true <laughs> is that? And where is that coming from? It's hard to say where that's coming from. I mean, I I really do have trouble believing that because that just that doesn't really pa- pass the what do they say pass the mustard test to me. I forget the exact expression, but just like I said, everybody wants to get back to work, and the sooner they do that, the sooner people can go back to creating shows, creating movies, to cre- to making money with each other. So it just it doesn't really make sense to me that okay, if a deal isn't reached today, that everyone's going to decide, you know what, we're not going to do anything for the next few months. That to me just doesn't really make any sense. But uh, I mean, is it a possibility? Perhaps, but in my personal and professional experience, that doesn't seem incredibly likely to me. Are we going to be able to tell who cried uncle first? <laughs> um, 
I think it will largely depend on who you ask. Uh, I think, you know, the Writers Guild and writers in general are very effective at communicating their messaging. I think the studios, you know, have hired a PR firm and have their own very effective messaging. So I think regardless of what happens, everyone's going to say that, you know, they came out ahead here. But I think it will ultimately depend on the content of the deal. And uh, we'll have to wait and see what that is before we can make any judgments. So say there is a deal. uh, Things get wrapped up. How likely is it that the fall TV season and movie season and everything else that comes with it, how likely is it that it will be salvaged and people who are looking forward to their fall lineup are actually going to get a a full slate of things that they've been waiting to see? Well, with the fall lineup for television, I mean... It's basically not going to happen. There's a very, very slim possibility you could get some shows back on the air prior to the conclusion of the traditional fall season. But, I mean, they would be abbreviated seasons, if at all, for any of those shows that would come back. For the film schedule, I'm not as as well-versed in the film schedule, but I know a lot of films have been pushed to early 2024 because, in addition to the Writers Guild, the studios still have to make a deal with the Actors Guild as well. So the idea there is, you know, if actors aren't able to promote their upcoming projects because of a strike that's that's the big motivating factor there for the studio so they still have to make that deal with the actors but the idea is should they make a deal with the wga they would simply take the deal made with the wga put that forth to the actors guild and say does this work for you and obviously there'd be some tweaks and different things going on there but the idea is that that deal would serve as a framework for a deal with the actors guild so hopefully if the deal with the wga is made a deal with the actors guild would follow soon after all right joe otterson senior tv writer for varieties we all stand by with bated breath waiting for the puff of white smoke (laughs) that will signal the end of our long national nightmare at least the hollywood nightmare of the writer's strike Right now, though, Ukraine President Zelensky visiting the U.S. again is meeting with President Biden at the White House. He visited Congress earlier, but had a request rejected by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to speak to a joint session of Congress. It's been no secret that the Republicans have been primarily against any kind of aid to Ukraine. Joe Dressen is with the Wilson Center's Cannon Institute. He's a Russia expert who's been closely following the Ukraine war. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it, Joe. So right now, uh, there's another $24 billion that the president is uh, requesting in economic and humanitarian aid to Ukraine during Zelensky's visit here. Already $100 billion in funding has already been given in this uh, war. Does the president have a blank check? And at what point do they start asking for results? What is happening? Has anything changed for Ukraine in this uh, attempt to protect themselves from Russia? Well, uh, thank you for asking me to join you. Uh, No, the president does not have a blank check, and uh, he has been uh, getting approval from Congress for uh, past aid render. Uh, But in terms of when are we going to start seeing success, I'd argue we've seen great success. Uh, Ukraine, a much smaller nation than Russia, has successfully turned back uh, Russia's blitzkrieg invasion from February of 22, and they've recaptured some 50% of the land that was uh, seized since the launch of the most recent invasion. And now, I mean, they have to invade through the most heavily mined territory on Earth, say perhaps the uh, uh, the border between North and South Korea. And and they're and Ukraine is making progress with this, but uh, they they do need to make more. 
progress and they will, but we just need to have time. Uh, and I think time is more on Ukraine's side than it is on Russia's side. The people in Ukraine, uh, Democrats here in the U.S., and many Republicans here in the U.S., I think they understand or they see this as if we don't stop Russia in Ukraine, Russia will just move on to the next target, whatever that happens to be down the road, taking a lesson from uh, Europe, really deciding not to stand up to Adolf Hitler before World War II got underway. Uh, Do you think that this is an issue with some people who are showing some fatigue for the war in Ukraine, that maybe perhaps they've lost sight of that? And if that is the case, can uh, President Biden and the Democrats and the other Republicans who support uh, Ukraine, could they do a better job of explaining that to people? Well, you could always do a better job of explaining things to people, that's for sure. Uh, but I would say that in terms of Ukraine fatigue, look, this is this is something that has been a perennial uh, burden that Ukraine has had to bear. Uh, when Ukraine had a previous uh, democratic revolution in 2005, uh, that that revolution sort of died in its tracks because of corruption. Uh, Now, uh, there's another possibility of Ukraine fatigue returning again. But this time, the Ukrainians are, uh, you know, far more serious about addressing corruption. They've already replaced their defense minister and shuffled a bunch of deputy ministers uh, in response to allegations and some evidence of, of, of corruption. Uh, they take it seriously because without support from the West and from the United States in particular, they're not going to be able to maintain a military uh, resistance against Russia. Uh, but I will say that uh, the Ukrainians view this as an existential struggle for their people, their culture, their language. So even without assistance, that resistance is going to continue. It would just be a much nastier uh, fight and, and more protracted one. Uh, but so Americans should bear in mind that, yes, I agree that Putin will not stop until he's actually stopped. Uh, he fought in uh, Georgia, invaded Georgia back in uh, 2008. Uh, he uh, bombed hospitals of uh, Syrian resistance held uh, positions. Uh, and he will do more of the same until he's actually stopped. And right now he's being stopped. Uh, we just need to continue, uh, I think, uh, the pressure against Putin uh, until such time as he decides and the Russian people decide for him that it's time to stop the war. All right, Joe Dressen, thank you so much. Uh, With the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute, also a a Russia expert, has been following this uh, Ukraine war. Still to come, people are tired of, you know, the ghosting potential that you get when you're dating and with romantic partners. So they're trying something a little bit more mature, but that also comes with some dangers. Yeah, they think this is a better way of doing it, but we're not so sure. Mm. We're going we're to dig into mm. that. Uh, right now, though, if you have an NFT, the chances are high that it is completely worthless. I will avoid saying I told you so here because <laughs> I'm bigger than that. A new report looked at data from NFT scan and coin market cap and found 95% of them are worth basically nothing. Tyler Holiday is with us. He is the founder of NFT Community. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So am I being too mean when I, you know, uh, I'm not gloating, but I'm gloating, uh, that NFTs are worthless? Uh, did did not other experts see that coming anyway? Uh, no, definitely not being too mean. I mean, that's kind of what's happening in the market right now. And when you look at other emerging markets and how they went to market, not everyone had a, you know, rainbows and sunshine. Um, an easy one would be, you know, the gaming market. They dropped 
from 3.2 billion in 1982 to 100 million by 1985. So, you know, emerging markets have a tough road to pass. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of NFTs were really hyped by a lot of celebrities, too. It's fair to say that in this market, this emerging tech with NFTs, with Ethereum, with Bitcoin, with other digital assets, that creates a perfect opportunity for people who want to scam people who get excited about this kind of stuff. I mean, is that something that ultimately is going to kill the whole NFT market? Or is there still a place for NFTs in the future? Will they serve a purpose? Oh, they will absolutely serve a purpose. Um, right now, you know, with any emerging market, it's they have their challenges that they have to go through. Right now with NFTs, it's a bit more technical. Not everyone can kind of, you know, download a digital wallet and buy their first first NFT in 10 minutes. It takes some time. And then also, when you do have your digital wallet, you need to know about security. I mean, we're talking about a completely different playing field right now. And there's a lot of resources out there, but there are scammers. But there's also a lot of really good actors that do believe in this. And when you're looking at like companies like Mattel, Disney, Nintendo, all three of these billion dollar companies are hiring people with expertise in NFTs. So it's inevitable and it's only a matter of time. And the adoption just takes a little bit of time, just like computers and PCs and being in everybody's home. Okay, so for those of us who didn't jump into this right off the bat and didn't pay a lot of attention to it, explain for the layperson what is an NFT and what would a good NFT be if you really wanted to try it now? Yeah, absolutely. So an NFT, simply put, is just a digital collectible. Think of like trading cards. Those are physical collectibles. You can basically have that same thing with an NFT. And a good place to start would be, you know, going to nftcommunity.gg. One thing that you want to be very careful about is just going to a marketplace and buying an NFT because there are some fake accounts out there and there's ways that you can just make sure that you're aligning yourself with new trusted communities that really want to help you and onboard you and, you know, inform you of how to be safe in this new new market. Right. And that's really you brought it up. One of the challenges of people trusting this emerging tech is that there are so many roadblocks and barriers to what a lot of people in the crypto industry called mass adoption. Um, you know, downloading the wallets, is my NFT or my cryptocurrency safe, all that kind of stuff. But when we talk about a place for NFTs in the future, what does that look like once we get through all the scams, when we, once we get through all the hype, what do you see as a useful NFT, like a use case, something that's going to have the value and actual, uh, uh, you know, characteristics and that will be useful in the future, maybe in Web3 or the metaverse. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at the end of the day um, with NFTs, it's not the technology that people are worried about. It's people at the end of the day that are taking advantage in this early market. And the use cases with NFTs, they're basically just tokens. They give you access. So it's a way for, you know, people, your audience, people who are your fans, you know, to have this exclusive opportunity to gain more access by holding one of your NFTs. So I think that's one of the biggest things um, that is happening and what people don't really realize. It's not the technology being in question. It's really just people right now. And with NFTs, there's a lot of great collections out there, one of them being Friendsville. Um, what they're doing is they're leveraging their NFT IP so their holders can actually, you know, be compensated for using their IP in children's books. So, so there's a lot of really cool ways to use these NFTs beyond just, you know, being a digital collectible. And I think as time rolls on, 
you know, NFTs are going to be used more and more in everybody's lives on the day to day. All right. Tyler Holiday, thank you so much for joining us, founder of NFT Community. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman today. L.A. County D.A. George Gascon says he wants to put the man charged with murdering L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer in prison for the rest of his life without parole. So, you know by now, the man pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. His mom says he is schizophrenic. So, does that meet the legal definition of insanity? Joshua Ritter is a criminal defense attorney and former L.A. County prosecutor, and Dr. Megan Chiarelli is medical director of the Providence Clinical Institute for Mental Health. Thank you both for joining us. So, Megan, I first want to start with you. Um, I would think that people who are dealing with mental illness, and specifically schizophrenia, might take issue with the definition of being called insane when there are many people dealing with this and struggling with schizophrenia who are leading relatively normal lives with drug therapy and so on. So at what point does this become insanity or does it ever? We really need to delineate between the word insanity and how it's used in a legal sense and how that's written or codified into our state laws versus how we think about it clinically. Because we no longer use that word clinically when we're assessing patients, whether or not they have psychosis, whether brief or more chronic, such as in schizophrenia. And Joshua, you're a uh, an attorney of uh, defense. You also have been a prosecutor. When somebody comes up uh, and their defense is uh, not guilty by reason of insanity, I think there is some uh, concern among some. It's it's misplaced, I'm sure, that if he's declared insane and he's found not guilty by reason of insanity, that means he goes right back on the street and he's fine. But that's not the case, is it? Somebody who has uh, killed someone and pleads not guilty by reason of insanity, even if they were found not guilty on that case, uh, that doesn't mean they're right back out on the street. What happens? No, you're absolutely right. They are not released. In fact, they're put into the custody of the state of California. They're in a mental hospital or outpatient uh, treatment program, and they're going to be held there. They're going to be held there until uh, the, the state of California decides that they are no longer suffering from the effects of that insanity that put them in there in the first place. And in many cases, this could be a period of time that might even be longer than what they would have been sentenced to. So, no, they do not Uh, just get released, but they also don't go to prison. They go to a mental hospital. So, Megan, I, you know, uh, this person is an adult, the man who's accused of of killing the deputy. What can family members do legally uh, when they're faced with a situation like this? His mother claims that he was suicidal, he's schizophrenic, he's long had some problems, but he is a legal adult. What do you do at that point if that person starts to become a danger in society and to their own family? Well, aside from making sure that they are, you know, having access to appropriate mental health and medical care, um, there are some opportunities in California, such as our gun violence restraining order. If someone is concerned that access to firearms could prove imminently risky to themselves or to other people, they can go through a civil as a non-criminal process to have firearms temporarily removed from the possession or access of somebody who could be at risk. The other piece would be contacting county officials if there's concern about needing evaluation for 
voluntary treatment in the hospital, whether that's for imminent danger to self, danger to others, or what we call grave disability, which is basically an inability to provide for your basic needs, such as um, adequately feeding yourself or extremes of hygiene concerns. And uh, that is another can of worms to be opened up in this case, is how does someone with a history of mental illness uh, able to legally buy a gun, if that indeed is what happened? Uh, They are looking into that. Joshua, I wanted to ask you, uh, can a case be made from a prosecution standpoint that he's pleading not guilty by reason of insanity? But if you look at the case history, according to his family, uh, he had been medicated for mental issues, but he chose as an adult to stop taking that medication. Does that open up an avenue of responsibility that the prosecutor can exploit in the case if it goes to trial? That argument itself doesn't necessarily open up an avenue saying that he somehow needs to take responsibility now because he didn't take his medication. But it's important to understand that when we're dealing with this, as the doctor pointed out, this this isn't a, a, what our traditionally or jurors, potential jurors might think of as insanity. It, it requires more than just a person who's suffering from mental disease or defect. It requires that they're, because of that mental disease, incapable of knowing or understanding the nature or quality of their actions or knowing or understanding that what they did was morally or legally wrong. So a person can be suffering from schizophrenia. A person can be treating or not treating or suffer from any number of mental defects or diseases and still be considered sane because they understand the consequences. They understand the ramifications and the impact of the actions that they took. All right, Joshua Ritter, thank you so much. A criminal defense attorney and former L.A. County prosecutor. Also, Dr. Megan Chiarelli, medical director of the Providence Clinical Institute for Mental Health. In the meantime, you've heard of that term ghosting. It's when someone just disappears without a trace from your work yeah. or your life. No you room for closure. Date and I mean, usually, they don't they don't return your texts right. anymore. It's they don't call in you the back. World. Yeah, not so much so in you know, just regular life, but yes, yeah. in the dating world. There is a new trend, though, that uh, some people say that you know I I, I sometimes ghost people because I'm afraid of the confrontation, and that's understandable. But they're trying something different. It's called anti-ghosting. And uh, we're going to explain what that means. Uh, uh, And it does have some problems associated with it. Terry DiMatteo is a licensed professional counselor and relationship expert. Thanks so much for joining us. It's nice to be with you. Hello from New Jersey. Oh, there you go. Uh, So what is this anti-ghosting thing that some people are doing? Yeah, so it seems like it, it softens the breakup a little bit rather than just go silent, which is very disorienting and extremely painful to be ghosted. It leaves you in the dark. You don't know where you stand. What is the status of things? Suddenly you're in the dark. So this anti-ghosting seems to be this telling the person, being kind of courteous, you might say, or respectful, letting them know that you don't want to pursue the relationship. You, you won't, they won't be hearing from you anymore. I know, Terry, that seems like common sense and just common courtesy. But, you know, as a woman, okay, (laughs) that in the dating world, there are countless examples on social media, Twitter specifically, where Mm. so many women who are dating end up posting screenshots of text exchanges with these quote unquote guys who say they are nice guys. And when they respectfully decline saying, hey, I had a nice time, but I'm not feeling it or, you know, I'm going to move on, it Mm -hmm. turns, it takes a really dark turn. And so sometimes I've seen examples where it's almost better 
to just ghost someone if you're just starting to date because mm. you, you're getting not a good sense from this person. Yeah, this is really difficult because the there's like the ghoster and the ghosty, huh? <laughs> and so you can you can help someone be honest with you uh, by asking them. By you know, if someone's gone silent, you can. The other person still has a move. You know, you're not with. Usually, it makes you anxious. What's going on? What's happening? It, it escalates the anxiety, and the anti-ghosting helps to calm it down a little bit but even if someone ghosts you you can make a gesture or two to say look i know it's hard to talk about these things you want to make it safe for them to approach you to be honest to know what's going on you want to be in the know not knowing is always produces more anxiety does that make sense to you yeah, it does. Hey, you know, I long, long, long ago when I was young and relatively good looking, I, I was ghosted <laughs> after a date. And oh. uh, it, it and it does bug you because you get nothing. You don't know yes. what something I mean, it could be anything. They didn't like me or, or had they been killed? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been <laughs> abducted and they're now uh, being held hostage somewhere. But I, you know, in my mind, if that were to happen, I think I would prefer it might sting, but I would prefer to be told, hey, you had a great time, but not interested in seeing you again. At least that way, now I know what's going on, and I'm not going to waste any more of my time. Yes, and you know what to expect. You know, you know even though that stings, look, there's no way around it. It always hurts. But when you know, it does calm things down. You know where you stand. There's no future here. There's no more investment, you might say. This is, you know... Look, a relationship takes two. <laughs> two people have to propel it forward. And if one person is no longer interested, that that's it. It just takes one, yeah? Yeah, you would think so. But, you know, again, some of the examples I've seen where women try to be uh, courteous and say, no, thank you, and then things turn dark. And some of these, uh, there's uh, so endless, such an endless amount of examples where things turn really, really scary. So if it does get to that mm-hmm. point, what do... What do you do? What do you say? Is there anything you can say beyond saying, I'm calling the police? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we want to really make the distinction here between a dangerous situation, you know, uh, people are out of control with their emotions and it turns dangerous versus you went on a date or two and it, it's, it's a little heartbreak and it stings a bit. It, it'll take a bit to get over it, but you move on. You're talking about it's out of control. Is that right? Or someone yeah. who won't take someone who won't take that ans- yes. anti-ghosting no okay. for an answer. Yeah, yeah. Someone and they keep coming that, back. Yes. Okay. So then you have to take stronger measures. I mean, you have to protect yourself because if the other party is losing control and taking it to another level, you do have to implement stronger boundaries, safety measures, the blocking, the deleting, all of those things. Because it, it sounds like it, you're saying it escalates on the on the rejected party side yes. to a point of frightening. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you're more you're more speaking about fe- females. You're specifically mentioning females. So yes. Females are getting scared. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they try to do the nice thing. And sometimes that really backfires, too. Well, let that be a lesson. <laughs> Don't, Don't be nice. Yeah, because yeah. It's so, it's so right. rejecting. I mean, it can be so reje- rejecting. Yes. And, uh, yes and, yeah. and, and, no good and, deed and, goes unpunished. And, <laughs> and, and, 
And yeah. also we should point out that if you are going to use this anti-ghosting thing, which is a little bit more honest, at least you're confronting the person saying, thank you, but uh, no thank you. Uh, do it politely. Uh, don't say things like uh, a very good friend of mine whose name I will not mention at this point uh, got an anti-ghosting message that said, not if you were the last man on earth. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. And, and that person was yeah, not cool. me. That was not me. Uh, it was someone else. You don't know him. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much. Terry DiMatteo is a licensed professional counselor and relationship expert. And uh, so Elsa, obviously, you've got a history of trying to uh, politely decline and someone didn't take no for an answer. Uh, yes. And yeah. but it didn't thankfully escalate to, uh, you know, law enforcement. Level. Right. You don't want to get to that level. No, that no, level. no, no. So where you are right now is I'm going to be honest and call it a bit of a humble brag. Is it, I guess because you were so great. That they no. <laughs> didn't want to hear you say goodbye. No, no, I don't think that's the case. But okay. if you want to think that, great. That's right. wonderful. Yeah. It only helps you. <laughs> uh, so that's it for KDX In Depth today. We will be back tomorrow.